and welcome to the More Deadly Podcast, where we review horror films exclusively directed by women-identified directors that prove that the female of the species is more deadly than the male. I'm your co-host, Rachel, and joining me is the always lovely, the always insightful, the always up to no good, (laughs) Ariel. Hi. Hey, girl. Hey, how are you? I'm doing okay. Okay. What's going on in the world of Ariel? I, I've been dying for this dispatch. <laughs> okay. So I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think my apartment might be haunted. Ooh. Tell me more. I, I, you've told me nothing and I'm already 100% in. Okay. Okay. So I haven't seen any ghosts. I think this is more a ghost in the machine type situation. Okay. So all of a sudden okay. last week, my TV started turning on by itself at night. Oh, just randomly. spooky. And I don't have cable. So when you turn my TV on, it goes to a main menu and you have to go to an app and select a show. But this was just playing a random show. What? Every time it would turn on. Was it yeah. picking the same show or? No, just okay. random shit. Okay. And like what though? Like what? I want to get a taste <laughs> for what this, what kind of thing that this ghost is into is it just nothing but nick at night <laughs> are they like a golden girls fanatic i'm trying to basically zero in on an era of which this are this person so you know, departed it, this moral coil <laughs> it put on hulu live tv wrestling one day Ooh. and it also <laughs> possibly put on some reality tv shows that i may or may not actually watch <laughs> okay okay so basically they're a wrestling fan and they've been forced to watch enough of your crappy reality tv shows that i also watch that they have been stockholm syndrome <laughs> into watching them. they're like i need to see the next shaws mj and resin need to make up <laughs> yeah and then just a random action movie so I don't, yeah, I don't know what's going on, but okay. So which which reality on. show was it though? You have to be more specific. Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Okay. 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 Cause I feel like there's a through line between the wrestling and the action <laughs> movie. So maybe, maybe they're just really like Kyle, um, what's her Richards? name? Richards because of her Halloween past. <laughs> she was kind maybe. of a star in the eighties. It's all working. It's still working. It's okay. still working. Okay. okay. Keep okay. going. Keep going. Keep right. going. So it would turn on. Uh-huh. And I'd have to turn it off. And then it would maybe an hour later come back on again. And it kept doing that and waking me up in the middle of the night. So I'm just picturing this ghost like rude. <laughs> <laughs> so then I decided that maybe it was just the outlet that I had everything plugged into. So I switched okay. it to a different outlet. That didn't work. It was okay. still happening. So I what? switched my surge protector, the power strip. I switched that out for a new one. It still kept doing it. So then I started unplugging my TV whenever I wasn't using it. But then my Blu-ray player started turning on. on What? Yes. Oh, this is creepy. (laughs) And the weird thing about that is, okay, you know how on the display screen of a Blu-ray or DVD player, it says hello when it comes on? So that kept happening. It just kept saying hello. (laughs) No. Yes. It's weird, right? I can't figure out what's going on. Ouija board. Yeah. It's time. It's time. Yeah. I got to do it. And then I don't know if this is connected. It feels like maybe it's not, but I keep getting personal pan pizzas delivered to my apartment. What? <laughs> oh my god! Different this... times, and it's just a random personal pan pizza left on my doorstep. 
with no okay. note, no receipt, no Uber Eats sticker, what one singular on? personal pan pizza. Do you have, okay, do you have a security camera in your home? No. Okay. I don't, unfortunately. Because I'm, I'm picturing also maybe it's some sort of security person who's romancing <laughs> you and that is the, the mating call, like it's a personal pan pizza. <laughs> That's the worst mating call ever. That is their version of their butt turning red or whatever. Oh my god! Like, is, a, is a personal pan pizza. I mean, at least buy me a whole pizza, right? A girl's got to eat. A girl has needs, but I do think it's it's really interesting. What kind of ghost is this that they're like? Yes, wrestling. Yes, action movie. Yes, Real Housewives. Yes, pizza. Those all feel like, honestly, kind of like a ghost I'd want to hang out with. Yeah, now that you say Minus it all the together, wrestling. it does kind of sound cool. <laughs> I like yeah. their flexibility that they're willing to get on board with the shows that you're watching. You sure. may have to do some sort of true. exchange across the you know ethereal barrier, <laughs> barrier and watch a little bit of Hulkamania. But uh-huh. like for the most part, I feel like your tastes could align and you could have a ghost. A ghost you could have a ghost bro interesting especially he has access to either a credit card or is able to hack the mainframe enough to get pizza sent to you (laughs) maybe you just need to like (laughs) manifest a larger pizza by making it clear that that's not an appropriate serving size (laughs) i'm just saying (laughs) right i will find a way to tell him or her please give me a bigger pizza (laughs) when it says hello on the screen do you say hello back or do you just turn off the tv I've just been turning it off. Should I say hello back? You should say hello back. Oh, oh my goodness. Okay. I feel like this is a friendly ghost. Like, you have a Casper situation right here. Yeah. Maybe it has a ghost crush. Aw. <laughs> ghost crush. It could. <laughs> I mean, it's also watching you shower, so there's that. But, but yeah, uh, I, this is exciting. I'm going to need updates. Okay. Next time the, the Blu-ray says hello, say hello back and see if what happens? All right. I'm going to try it science. out. <laughs> I want to send you some ghost hunting tools now. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Got to get that. I mean, I've been playing that game, continuing to play that game, Phasmophobia. So now I think I'm a ghost hunter. Uh-huh. Sounds fun. It's very fun. <laughs> it's very, very fun. It's creepy as hell, but it is, and very stressful sometimes, but it is incredibly fun. Especially when you figure out who the ghost is, you feel like a genius. Nice. Okay, so there's probably, is there any way to find out who lived in your apartment before you? Oh, that's a good question. I've watched enough horror movies to know that what you do is you go onto the internet. Okay. You find like an off-brand Google website. (laughs) Right, of course. Yeah, like findmyghostneighbor.com or something. And then you Google it and you're going to get a very extensive mythology as well as like articles yeah lots of Uh newspaper articles with photos okay so the ghost is not going to be the person in the foreground of the picture it's going to be the person who's sulking in the in the background of the picture that's the course it is (laughs) you'll probably also have a rowdy roddy piper shirt on (laughs) and be eating a personal pan pizza (laughs) (laughs) but that's how you're going to know who your ghost is okay okay <laughs> i will give back to you okay more information i i expect updates <laughs> <laughs> How come I, mars has a ghost you have a ghost where's my ghost yeah where's the rachel ghost <sighs> maybe i don't know maybe my cats are scaring them away i mean they are always staring at things you know yeah i mean if they're uh, if they're friendly ghosts i'm like cool let's hang 
but <laughs> especially on days where you, the remote's out of reach and you're just like float it to me <laughs> oh that would be sweet right yes. i don't care if there's a little bit of ectoplasm on it if i don't have to get up especially when you sit down and you get in that perfect comfortable spot uh -huh. that is immediately when you're like fuck i don't have my remote or i the water's just out of reach then you can just have your little ghost bro Psh, push it over or <laughs> not over yeah i could get behind that right definitely yes Okay. All right. You'll have to get them, you know, those back scratchers that look like hands so that it can high five you. Oh my God. You. you can high five. Rachel. <laughs> you really ignited my imagination. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> All right. Keep me posted. I want to know about Ghost Bro. All right. All right. So today we are going to be talking total, you like my absolutely no shift in tone <laughs> no just segue moving, whatsoever i'm yeah. just keeping it moving okay so today we're going to be talking about the movie saint maude directed by rose glass this was a you pick yes. so first and foremost what made you decide to pick this one well we've been hearing about this movie for so long and its release date kept getting pushed yes but it was supposed to be really good and I think I said this last week, but I have a tendency to mm -hmm. put off movies that I think are going to be emotionally challenging. Yes. And I'm trying to do that less because one of the things yes. that this podcast has taught me is that those emotionally challenging movies I often really love, even though I yeah. put them off. So yeah. it felt like time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that you pushed me because I do the same thing. And then yep. you and I, uh, we've talked about this before. We do the exchange where we're just like, okay, I'm going to watch this one. You watch this one. Tell me if I should watch it. Oh, that one was too depressing. Don't watch it. <laughs> right, or exactly. that one is too depressing. You have to watch you it though because it. it's really yes. freaking good. God <laughs> damn it. So it's good to spread it out because yeah, we're rapidly approaching the midpoint of the year. I, I was know. actually thinking about this today or yesterday how i need to step up my horror movie watching game if i want to be on track to not have that mega crunch at the end yep because i'm doing the same same history is repeating itself <laughs> history is repeating itself so it's good to get these challenging ones sprinkled throughout the year yeah so they don't all pile up on you in december yeah and it also means i don't feel as guilty when i'm like I do kind of want to watch Psycho Gorman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which I, I obviously we immediately both watched that. Yeah, so out. <laughs> <laughs> Not my hunky boys. Um. So so yeah. So I'm excited that we're doing this tonight. But before we go any further, it's very important that we let people know what our spoiler policy is in case this is their first time joining us. So Ariel, what is our spoiler policy here on the More Deadly Podcast? Yeah, so eventually we're going to spoil the whole dang movie. But first, we are going to give you some information about the director, and then we're going to give our general thoughts about the movie, let you know whether it's worth checking out or whether you should skip it. And then we will tell you that we're going to get into spoilers, and then everything's up for grabs. And we'll Ooh, probably talk yes. about all of it, including the ending. Oh, we're going to talk about the ending. Yeah. <laughs> we need to talk about yes, the ending. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited to get there. But first things first, tell me a little bit about Rose Glass. Okay, so Rose Glass grew up in the UK, and she knew from a very early age that she wanted to be a director when she grew up. When she was a kid, her parents got a video camera and she immediately started stealing it and making stop motion animation movies with her friends. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah, apparently as a kid, she made Harry Potter spoofs and mockumentaries about aliens. Oh my God. See, she is rad. I knew just, I read some interviews and prepping uh -huh. for this and I was like, she is freaking rad and you have just confirmed it. <laughs> 
So as she got a little older, she became obsessed with the Lord of the Rings trilogy and got really into sort of the epic world building that's into that movie. But her interest started to veer towards creepier stuff after her dad showed her a racer head. Apparently, (laughs) I'll do it. Yeah, apparently he told her that if she really wanted to make films, she should watch it because it was the only film he had ever walked out of. Oh, interesting. But she ended up loving it. That tracks. (laughs) And then after that, she started getting into what she's called in interviews messed up films like Mm. pie the piano teacher and visitor q so yeah i don't think i've seen visitor q i haven't either and i've never seen pie okay i've seen pie and i've seen what was it piano teacher i've seen both of those but i've never seen i don't even i'm not even familiar with that movie but apparently a lot of like a messed up emotional content aha and then a24 was like like excuse me hello yeah right (laughs) did someone sing our our siren song (laughs) (laughs) but it was actually seeing Shaun of the dead in theater that got her into gore after that she was hooked and started making films with her friends that had sort of low tech gore in them and when she got older she got her ba in film and video at the london college of communication And then she said in an interview with Directors Now that she graduated with a ton of experience, but she still really had no idea how to get a feature film funded. Mm, The hustle. Yeah. Yeah. How to take it from idea to reality. So she decided to apply to the National Film and Television School, but she didn't get in the first time. But she was encouraged to apply again. So she bootstrapped a short film while she was working as a waitress in a cake shop. And then she reapplied and got in. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. That is so cool. The tenacity. Yep. And, and look <laughs> at her now. I know. <laughs> so while she was there, she actually started working on the idea for St. Maud. But before she really got going on it, she wrote and directed six short films. Mm. And then three years after graduating, she got two feature film projects into development, which allowed her to quit her job and write full time. Which is pretty impressive. She hadn't been out of school for very long at all. As someone who, you know, is striving to follow their creative passions, <clears throat> this podcast, um, other podcasts, <laughs> <laughs> I, I am always so impressed by people who just go for it and yeah, make it happen. It. And mm-hmm. I think that's, a, I mean, there are many reasons why I'm so drawn to women directors. And one of them is that sort of spirit that so many of them have have to embody in order to go from wanting to be a director to actually making a feature film i think that is one of those sort of unsung elements of your character that that they have and that's so in addition to just kind of being into their work i am always so interested in them as people because of i think in part because of that particular trait yeah it just seems like it takes so much tenacity to be able to get anywhere yeah 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 So she was able to write full time, but she ran into some problems. She was starting to struggle with some mental health issues. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to talk about her mental health, but I want to make it clear I'm not talking about this in order to pry or to be sensationalistic, but because I think that the story of her struggle is actually super relatable. And also because she talked really openly and candidly about these struggles in multiple interviews. Okay. Thank you for clarifying. I think that's really important. Yeah. And it's also totally germane to the conversation we're going to be having today in general. Yes, very true. Uh-huh. Yeah. So during this time, 
where she was working on these two projects, she was really struggling with the idea of being a real writer. She thought that it meant that you had to wake up at eight and write full time all day, every day. And because of that, sort of pushing herself that hard, she started having a lot of problems with anxiety and depression. So a year later, one of the projects that she was working on fell through, and she was left to focus solely on St. Maud, which was starting to run out of money. So while working on the script for St. Maud, she became more and more isolated and was starting to mm. alternate between depression and anxiety. Mm -hmm. And she just started hating her script. And was really wrapped up in this idea that it could fall through like her other project. She was really scared about that. But she was also terrified that she could succeed in finishing the script. And then she'd actually have to make a movie because she was convinced that if that happened, it would be a disaster. And she wouldn't be able to succeed at actually making the movie and being a director in person. But she also knew how fortunate she was to have this experience and to be getting funding at all so she was also embarrassed about how she was feeling oh, god it's such a trap isn't it yeah and i feel like that's all so relatable i think most mm -hmm. people have been through those kinds of feelings absolutely so finally she had a breakdown and it forced her to open up and actually talk to her producers about what was going on and what she was going through and luckily they were incredibly understanding they told her to take a few weeks off and not write. And in that time, she started on medication and then was able to come back and finish her final draft and start official prep for the movie. Wow. That's yeah. so great. Yes. I mean, because you think of that industry being not the most understanding, not the necessarily the most supportive. Yeah. I mean, we just wa watched Bloodthirsty. That's basically all about how predatory <laughs> the arts can be sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So, very true. I mean, and look at who got the last laugh. You know what I mean? <laughs> so obviously those producers knew what the heck they were doing. In addition to doing the right thing, clearly that's paid that strategy paid off. Yeah, exactly. All right. So I want to read this quote from the interview she did with directors now about this experience that she went through. So she said, I don't think St. Maud turned out well because I got like this whilst writing. I think it went well in spite of it. I don't want to romanticize this stuff at all. It isn't an essential part of the creative process or anything wanky like this. Personally, my best ideas tend to come when I'm feeling inquisitive, certainly not when I'm terrified and exhausted. And yeah. I just want to point that out because I think that a lot of times we kind of get wrapped up in this idea of artists having to be tragic and go through something terrible in order to produce something great. Right. And while I do think you can struggle and come out of it with something great, I think that she's right that it's not a necessary element. Yeah, there is this idea of the tortured artist, right? And funneling your pain into your creativity. And I think that that can be incredibly constructive, right? Yes. That you healing. have somewhere mm -hmm. to put that place and put it and uh, a way to process it. But you're right. There is to some degree where anything can be justified if the output is creativity. And right. that's toxic. But also this idea that creativity comes from lots of places. And if her, for her, that comes from... I mean, good for her that it doesn't come from pain, that she doesn't have to suffer for her. He, she can be joyful and inquisitive in her art and still make something incredible. I think that, that right. that's great. And I, yeah, and I think that going, reaching out for help, taking medication, whatever mm -hmm. you need to do, going to therapy and still being able to create something. Like, I don't yeah. think you have to be worried that if you take care of yourself, all your creativity is going to dissipate. 
Yes, that's so true because I think that's a trap too, right? Mm-hmm. Where yeah. if you if in the past your creativity was spurred by suffering, that you think you have to self-inflict pain in order to continue your creativity. Exactly. Because that's the message, right? Because we do romanticize, you know, go back to American authors and drinking yeah. and writing. Yep. You know what I mean? This is nice to have sort of a counter message that. It's interesting though that considering the movie that she made (laughs) i know right (laughs) which is all about don't let your pain go to waste right (laughs) (laughs) yeah but anyways i just wanted to sort of point all of this stuff out and actually talk about these struggles because i just like i said i feel like what she went through is so relatable and thinking that you're somehow a fraud and that you're not going to be able to succeed. I mean, I think we all deal with those issues. We spent 20 minutes before this podcast talking about everything. (laughs) (laughs) This is resonating a little too much for me right now. All right. So the original idea for St. Maud is actually a little bit different than what the final product was. So it was originally going to be about, Maud falling in love with the voice of God in her head and in the movie you would have heard her talking and then you would have also heard God's voice but she said that as she was writing it she realized it just wouldn't work it was getting too gimmicky and clunky Mm -hmm. um so she kind of like her but with god yeah yeah and Mm -hmm. (laughs) she did in one interview describe the relationship of God and Maud in this early iteration of the movie as being a kinky love affair <laughs> oh and suddenly my interest is peaked uh-huh. again <laughs> and just like it, that yeah. i'm like can i get that rough track <laughs> right <laughs> so morfid clark is the actor who plays Maud, and glass really saw something in her after she first auditioned But she had a little harder time convincing the studio execs that she was right for such a challenging and dark role because they saw her as being sort of more meek and quiet. Mm. So Glass actually had her come in for another audition and she filmed her doing one of the most challenging scenes in the movie. I'm not going to give anything away about it, but there is a scene where she has to crash around on the floor and she has to vomit And Mm. she had her actually do that scene and film it. And then they sent that to the execs and they finally understood and hired her. That's awesome. That's so great. Because, I mean, this is a demanding role. I know we say that a lot. But this is a very demanding role. Yeah. There are degrees of subtlety required for this. (laughs) And then extremes that are required for this role that yeah you and that she's such the anchor performance in this movie i don't know that there's more than two frames that she's not in so so wow okay and this she had done acting before but she had never been a lead in anything this is her first leading role which i think is incredibly impressive i do not think it will be her last no 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 so St. Maud premiered to rave reviews at the Toronto International Film Festival in 2009, and A24 immediately staffed it up for U.S. Right. distribution rights. Right. It won Best Film of the Year, Best Actress, and Best Breakthrough British Filmmaker of the Year at the London Film Critics Circle Awards. Amazing. Rose Glass won Best Debut Director, and it won for Best Cinematography at the British Independent Film Awards. Holy shit yeah <laughs> that's amazing that's the dream right right i mean that yes. must be, that exceeds the dream 
Yeah. You just want people to see your first film and then I she know. just goes in and it's like I know. Crush, it's, it's crush, pretty crush. amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's awesome. But sadly, it had some trouble getting any kind of release because of the pandemic. I know. Yeah. So it was supposed to get a broader release in the UK, but shutdowns happened and it got postponed. And then it did have a limited theatrical release in between lockdowns in the UK last October. Mm-hmm. And it was set to premiere in the US right after that. But the theatrical release date was pushed back twice because of the pandemic. Jeez. Mm, yeah. She said that apparently right before the pandemic started, they were actually set to fly to the US for a press tour when shutdown oh, first happened. Oh, man. Yeah. That's brutal. I know. It's been a hard year for everyone. But, oh, man, that's that's tough. It's been a hard year. Yeah, especially since it got so much buzz initially at film festivals. Oh, yeah. It's sad that it didn't get the big wide release that it really deserved. Mm -hmm. But it was finally given a limited release in the U.S. in January. And then it moved to the streaming service Epics. And now it is available on Amazon Prime and Hulu, which I think is really great because I hope that a lot more people see it because of that. Yes, definitely. Hopefully it's getting an audience because it is it's such a shame if that's it, that it kind of got pushed to the side that way. Yeah. I mean, that's been the fate of a lot of stuff, but at least it has the A24 machine behind it. You know what that's I mean? That's a very good point. Cuz mm-hmm. this thing could totally have disappeared were it yes, not for that. Very true. So, I couldn't find a lot of information about what she's working on next, but she did say in a couple interviews that she is currently co-writing a script with a friend she went to film school with as well as writing a script herself and she said that that script she's writing herself does contain some body horror elements so she wouldn't get into any specifics but she did allude to the fact that there would be more body horror stuff okay so we'll just have to keep an eye out for her i will watch her make pick scabs on the big screen anytime (laughs) Woo, that pest scab picking yes and just as a little teaser for people who are going to either watch this movie and come back or just stick with us through the spoiler talk i do have one more fact about the making of the movie that i think is pretty interesting but if i say it now it'll just spoil a big scene so okay all right well we'll save it for after the spoiler warning then okay cool awesome well that's that is really interesting again this is probably my favorite part is when i learned about these women they're so interesting so fascinating so aspirational and yeah i really hope people find this movie i'm obviously tipping my hand about how i feel about it (laughs) (laughs) okay so before i give the synopsis so let's go ahead and give since i'm already into the review territory why don't we give our general thoughts about it without spoilers so people can make a decision whether or not they want to watch it. All right. Well, I loved this movie. Mm-hmm. I thought it was fantastic. I think everybody needs to see it. I think the minute it was over, I was like, I think this might be my favorite movie I've seen so far this year. That's how good I think it is. Yeah, it's pretty fucking great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, like I said earlier, was pretty nervous going into this film. Anytime there's a movie that is focused on somebody who is sick and dying, it makes me a little nervous i was worried that i was going to be walking into something like relic and while that movie was amazing it was very emotionally challenging i would say don't let that be a deterrent for this film because it does not have those same emotional elements in it that are going to make you sort of depressed about life in the same way (laughs) yeah 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 it's got other stuff 
that's mm-hmm. somewhat challenging, but it didn't make me weep in the same way some other movies have. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I loved it. I think the acting, like we were saying earlier, is absolutely phenomenal. I think what is asked of these two women, especially the main women in this movie, they're asked to do a lot and they succeed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they are both so good at what they're doing in this movie and they have to go to some really weird places and it's very successful yeah (laughs) (laughs) i think this movie has great mood and atmosphere it's sort of this journey through Maud's psyche and her experience and i feel like her emotional state just pervades the whole movie you really get to feel what she's feeling I also think that it does some really original things that I haven't seen done before. Her relationship with religion mm-hmm. is something wholly new for me. I'd never seen Holy. it done quite that way. <laughs> <laughs> I also think that the relationship between Maud, our main character, and Amanda, the woman she's caring for, yeah. is really interesting. It's super unique. There's a friendship, but also a power dynamic that's happening there that's really interesting and feels fresh. And then finally, I fucking love the ending of this movie. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) It's a remarkable ending. I can't wait to talk about it. But yeah, I mean, I would just say go see this movie. It's on Hulu. It's on Amazon Prime. You can get your hands on it. Watch this movie. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, honestly... You pretty much said just about everything I wanted <laughs> to say. Oh, no, no, it's fine. I mean, because I just, I'm in such lockstep with you in terms of my opinion of this movie. Oh, I good. also loved this movie. <laughs> 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 I think, you know, it, it is, the subject matter is pretty grim. And yes. A24 is, picks movies that don't shy away from the grim. That is true. You know, like you, I was concerned that there was going to be a high emotional toll to watch this. So I was delighted to see that this is actually as good as I hoped it would be. And yet darkly humorous enough and compelling enough that it never felt punishing. I got my horror vegetables and my horror dessert all in one package. (laughs) So great way to describe it. Yes. Yes. You know, but that being said, I do want to make it really clear that this is very much a slow burn psychological horror film. It's not hereditary where there are very clear horror elements within multiple beats of the film, right? This is something that is a very deliberate, patient escalation of psychological horror that, and we've talked about this in the past, you have to have a payoff. This one does. Yes. So I think comparisons to something like Hereditary or The Witch have the risk of doing a disservice to this movie by making you expect something that it's not. And that would be a shame because what it actually is, is pretty freaking great. It's just not the same thing. So I think me going into it a little nervous actually was the best way to do it because when I didn't get what I expected in terms of, like I said, a high emotional toll... I was having a great time. But if I was like, ooh, I hope this is the next Hereditary, it's just not. It's a different movie. and But what it does, it does really well. Yep. So that I want to be clear about. I want to set your expectations up for success. Because I want you to have the same experience that I had, which was the best experience yeah (laughs) the maximum the maximal experience (laughs) and yeah the end 
dude, that hit me so hard in the feels in the best and most importantly, most satisfying way. You know, it's a very satisfying ending. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think if you like A24, if you like slow burn, if you're interested in the internal life of very complicated women, if you like religious horror, but you think you've seen it all and you're like, I can't, I can't watch another exorcist knockoff or something. This one takes, has a new spin on it. So it freshens things up. So yeah, if if all of those things appeal to you, you are going to be like Ariel and I, you are going to love this. And it is, as she said, very available. So I would say, put it in your eyeballs. Yeah. Post taste. (laughs) Post taste. We watched a lot of good movies this year, but I I also think this is a contender for Manumero Uno. And it awesome. could, and in some ways, maybe it's good that it was delayed because there was so much hype and the marketing was so driven in, in a direction that actually is not appropriate for this movie that it might it might not have hit the same way. Yeah, that's it's, actually a very good point. Yeah, I really liked it. And I think everybody should see it. That's it. Done. Awesome. <laughs> All right. So we are heading into spoilers now. So. In the past, we've kind of said, choose your own adventure. I would really recommend watching this before you listen, unless you are genuinely someone who their enjoyment is not diminished by spoilers. I would just go watch it. Come back. Yeah, definitely come back because there's a lot to process. If they go back and watch it, they're going to come back. Yeah. (laughs) Because you're going to feel a lot of things at the end of this. (laughs) But yeah, if you don't care about spoilers or you have seen it, let's get into it. All right, I think probably that's enough time people have left. It's just us in the spoiler zone. So let me start with a synopsis. Great. All right, the movie opens with Maude taking a new job as hospice nurse after a traumatic event at her old job as a nurse at a local hospital. She's caring for Amanda Cole, a former dancer and choreographer with stage four lymphoma. So... Like we said, dark content. Mm-hmm. Um, the two strike up a friendship, which leads to Maude confessing to her about her recent conversion to Christianity? Catholic? Becoming Catholic? Whatever. Anyway, Maude claims that she not only feels the Holy Spirit, but God speaks to her. And when she is on his right path, she physically experiences pleasure. Physical pleasure. She describes essentially an orgasm when she knows that she's doing God's will. The other side of that, though, unfortunately, though, is that when she falls short, she uses pain and self-inflicted pain to get her to stay and back on track. Amanda is an atheist, but at first she kind of encourages Maude to share her story with her until Maude starts crossing some boundaries and takes it upon herself to become Amanda's savior without her consent or desire and starts meddling in her life. And pretty quickly, that relationship falls apart. After that, Maud is kind of in a situation where she doesn't know what to do next. She's got to figure out her path. She tries going back to her old life. That does not go very well. No. Let's talk about that. Then she starts receiving messages from God about what her true calling is and what that true calling means for Amanda. And uh, none of those things are great. And I'm going to stop there just in case... Um, and we're in the spoiler zone, but yeah, I'll just stop there. All right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, Ariel, now that we're in the spoiler zone, what are the things that you're just dying to get off your chest? <laughs> All right. Well, this movie had me hooked from the very beginning. We yes. open to 
Maud lying bloody with a dead body next mm-hmm. to her. <laughs> and I feel like anytime a movie opens with a dead body and you don't know what happened, I'm always hooked yeah. immediately. Yeah. So I loved that. I love the way this movie is filmed. I think that Rose Glass has a very deft hand. I think the decisions she made are super smart. There are some incredible shots, like in the beginning when Maud is first going to Amanda's house, the camera pans up this long staircase leading up to this house sort of in the middle of nowhere. There are shots that are filmed at weird angles and super close-ups. And I think that using all of these weird angles works to keep you off balance Mm-hmm. And when you combine that with some of the pulsing music and what's going on with Maud, I think it just creates an amazing atmosphere and really lets you feel what Maud is going through yeah. psychologically. I love the body horror stuff in this. I mean, it's <laughs> <laughs> there's just a handful of them sprinkled throughout the movie, but I think they work really well. I think they're all super successful. I mean, that scene, just like you were saying, of her picking that skin <gasps> Uh. (laughs) i mean i I say that but i also just kind of love it yes exactly it's so icky and also weirdly intimate and you know everybody's picked a scab in the privacy of their own home Mm -hmm. you know what i mean it's one of those ugly human things that we all do uh, and that you rarely see on screen it felt transgressive and yet deeply familiar and then also said so much about her as a character and, and where she was mentally that she was picking scabs of the literal and metaphorical variety in that moment yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. there's a scene where she puts tacks in her shoes ah! to walk on <laughs> to punish herself and yeah. the way that rose glass is the director allows that to linger where she's pushing in one tack after another and after another, and you're not exactly sure what she's going to do with them. And then she puts them into her shoe and then she puts her foot into her shoe and you watch her sort of get up the nerve to put her weight down on it. And then you see her walking through the town very slowly and deliberately Mm. because of how painful it is. I mean, Mm. it's amazing the time that she allows to elapse for this. Yeah. Where you're just right there with her. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Very much so. Yeah. So I think it's pretty impressive given this is her first feature film that she was able to do all of this. Yeah. I love the way this film follows Maude's emotional journey. I think that Maude is fascinating. It's really interesting that in the beginning you think she's this very religious, pious woman, and then you come to find out that this is something that's new to her, Mm -hmm. that she is using Christianity or a version of Christianity to kind of deal with things that she's been through in her past, and that as much as she sort of talks about piety and purity, it's all fresh for her, right? And I think that's just, it makes it so much more fascinating to watch her go through this as a character and to know that the way she used to handle these things are completely different, right? Right. We find out later that she used to drink and have casual sex that didn't matter to her. And and now she handles it in this completely different way and is trying to get Amanda on board with it too. It's just, it's so interesting. And the lengths that she goes to with the Christianity stuff. I mean, I think Rose Glass in an interview called it a Godgasm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I have never seen something like that done before, like Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. It's 
so interesting and well it made me actor... think of it made me think mm-hmm. of the witch a little bit because you remember yeah, the, that's true. the brother has basically mm-hmm. i don't know if it's a godgasm or a demon gasm or what it is before he <laughs> dies he kind of experiences this sort of religious rapturous like that's ecstasy. right i've forgotten that mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's just so interesting i love amanda's character so uh-huh. in the very beginning of the movie, we see one of her friends there visiting her and he's trying to get her to sort of be more open and see more people. And he calls her Norma Desmond. And right. that sort of set me up to think that she was going to be an aging star who was living in a fantasy world a la Sunset Boulevard, right? Right. But really, she has still a pretty rich life and a big social life and friends who are still invested in her. Uh-huh. And so it very much subverted my expectations in that way. And I thought it was really interesting, especially because a lot of times when you have a main character who is caring for somebody who is sick and dying, that person who is sick is often more of a prop mm-hmm. in the movie mm-hmm. just to support the main character's story. And I think here, Amanda's character is fully realized. Right? She's a complete person. And I really think that that makes this movie so much richer and i also think that the way that they talk about her sexuality the way they show it in the movie is also really great too Mm -hmm. and i think that it maybe is handled in the way that it's handled because it was written by a woman yeah i think so as well it finds that fine line between avoiding being you know for titillation or exploitation right but then also becoming so chaste that it's not real either yes exactly mm-hmm. yeah and i don't know that you typically see women employing sex workers in this way yeah no you don't it is a thing i mean it's not as common as men obviously but it is a thing and so it, it felt like a new fresh take on a relational dynamic that you just do not get to see very often in films right and even though you see Maud judging her for it i don't feel like the movie or the camera lens judges her for it at all you know i almost felt like I didn't sense judgment so much as concern. Yeah. She saw her more Mm -hmm. as like an obstacle to her salvation and not because of the sex thing, but because it was pulling focus. Yeah. So like when there's the confrontation goes down she's like, I can't tell if you're a bigot or I can't remember what the other option was. And I was like, it's actually option C, which is she's a distraction. Mm hmm. But I don't know, maybe that's my interpretation of it. I didn't, because especially when they have their confrontation, the way that she's handling it, there is no sort of judgment in the way that she talks to her. She's like, this is really important. You can't be distracting her. You know, this is life and death shit. I don't care if you have an eight inch cock. Yeah, that's true. I think that during the party scene, there's a little more judgment from Maud's perspective when she's talking about it with her. I can't remember the exact lines, but that's more where I felt it. But yeah, I think that you're right that mostly what she wanted was to have Amanda to herself. Yes. So they could do this work, you know? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so they yeah. could connect in this way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's, but I also, because I don't think she really adheres to any sort of real Christian doctrine right. at all. No, no, she's um, making this shit up as she goes along, I think. <laughs> right. And so I think some of those expectations don't apply. And it kind of speaks to a larger thing that both the character of Maud and Amanda deftly sort of dodge a lot of cliches that you expect. And in the case of Maud, her past means that she's not the sort of naive, waifish, sort Mm -hmm. of sheltered little girl that you initially assume she is. And that makes her more complex and interesting. 
And the dynamic that her and Amanda have is very different than you would automatically assume. That there is a very interesting sort of, you've talked about this a little bit in our non-spoilers, the power play between these yes. two roles. On one hand, you know, it's an employer-employee relationship. It is a young woman and an older established woman. It is someone who is still doing a lot of seeking and someone who has kind of discovered herself but at the other hand you know there's a physical strength difference and the way that she's kind of under the control of mod mod has control of her medication she's you know literally physically moving her body around and in control of her body and that power play is interesting especially because it's not necessarily adversarial at first I mean, it's yes. only adversarial for one scene, and that resolves itself very quickly and very <laughs> definitively. <laughs> That's uh, true. Did not see that coming. But it's just a much more complex relationship than I ever expected, even based on the trailers. I think the trailer makes you feel like the entire runtime is going to be the evolution of this relationship. And it really is only kind of, I don't know, the first half, and then we circle back and for the final act. Yeah, I was surprised at that because I didn't expect that either. But I think that you do learn so much about Amanda and Maude and their relationship in that first half of the movie. I mean, I think what it is, is it, it insists on these both of these characters in their own ways being modern women. Yeah. Yeah, good point. Mm -hmm. And that makes them more complex and it makes everything that happens more heartbreaking. Neither of them are, a, are an archetype. They're presented as archetypes and then that's immediately tossed aside and so you, as a as a fellow modern woman, you can kind of identify and pull from these relationships kind of personal experiences that, that make it a lot richer than, it's not plot driven. It's very character driven. Yeah. And, yes. and I wasn't expecting as much of that to be here as there is. And it really elevated it for me. I agree. It just, it feels so fresh and interesting. It makes the whole movie better for it. I also think you were saying in our general thoughts that there's some black humor in this movie. Oh, yeah. And I did not expect that. No. There is a scene in the restaurant where Maude's going through some shit and she's dealing with it in some interesting <laughs> ways. And one of the ways is to give a very stony eyed hand job to a guy in the back <sighs> of a restaurant. <laughs> That yeah. cracked me up. I mean, yeah. there's something so sad about it, but but it also made me laugh. And there are scenes like that peppered throughout the movie that I think are part of the reason why this isn't as emotionally punishing as it could be otherwise. Also, I mean, normally I don't like voiceover, but her dialogue with God was yeah. pretty great. It was pretty funny. Yes. The way that she talked to him, it was, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It was. It was just sort of, dryly humorous in a way that made you really love Maude a little bit even though you know she's going to do bad things but also just changed the mood which could have been so somber and self-serious and again I, I don't know if it's a modernizing thing um, yeah, yeah yeah and I, I think that she used kind of the the right amount of God's voice too because like she said oh, in my interviews God, we that talk it was going to be God's a bigger voice. part <laughs> sorry yeah yeah go ahead sorry I was talking over you yeah, no, it's fine. Originally, she thought that was going to be a much bigger part of the film, this back and forth between them. But I think limiting it really works well here because mm -hmm. you don't you don't get sick of it at all. And I think that what it does tells you, like you were saying more about Maude, it adds humor to it. 
Yeah, it's it's yeah. pretty great. That scene in the restaurant, too, I think is pretty brilliant. I mean, it shows you so much about who Maud used to be and who maybe she still is. Oh, that's interesting. Because I kind of took it as who Maud can't be anymore. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. But there were a couple of scenes in this movie that just broke my heart, too. Mm-hmm. And the scene where she is sitting at a table and there are some other people socializing near her. Mm-hmm. And she starts to laugh at something that they're saying so that she can kind of maybe be part of what they're doing. And they sort of look at her like, why are you <laughs> insinuating yourself and laughing? That right. broke my fucking heart. Yeah. That made me really sad. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there is something deeply lonely about yes. Maud. You know, the aloneness of Maud is one of the main sort of themes of this. And this is her attempt to, she's kind of satisfied herself with the relationship she has with God. And then she de- starts developing a friendship with Amanda. And I think in addition to failing as her self-appointed savior, that friend, the loss of that friendship really hits hard for her and did her and she tries to i I mean she's trying to kind of recapture the way that she lived before but what you see here is how much Maud has changed it's not just that she's taken religion she is now kind of out of step with other people so there's some self-imposed loneliness and then there's some not really fitting in anymore kind of loneliness Yeah. So anyways, it's just there are some sad scenes like that. And when she tries to reach out to that old friend from her old job, that Uh was really sad, too, because you can tell how sort of broken hearted she is that they can't meet up. The scene at the party where Amanda confronts Maude a bit about what Maude did. I think that scene is so interesting and there's also sort of a level of cruelty. She does it with it. a smile. That's yeah. what makes it so brutal. Yes, exactly. Yeah, brutal is a great word for that. Mm-hmm. That kind mm-hmm. of broke my heart too for Maud. Because Absolutely. even though obviously what she was doing was super inappropriate and overstepping boundaries, the way that Amanda handles it was wrong. Too. It's cruel. It's actually yes. cruel the way yes. she handles it. Yeah, it's mean. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And you know, I know it's a case of hurt people hurt people. Yeah. But at the same time, oof. I mean, she will come to regret it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe you should talk about some of the things you loved and then we should get to the ending because I really want to talk about the ending. Oh, wait, before before you do that, actually, I just wanted to mention, I forgot to talk about this when I was talking about how much I like the body horror. Yeah. One of the scenes that we see is quick cuts of Maude attempting to save the life of somebody. Yeah. And then like crushing their chest. Yeah. So the fact that I was alluding to earlier is that in an interview, Rose Glass talked about the fact that that actually is a story from real life. So she had a friend who was an ICU nurse who had an elderly patient who had had major open chest surgery and had a giant incision with staples down the length of his chest. Uh He went into cardiac arrest and she started chest compressions while the crash team got there. But because he was so elderly and frail, When she did the chest compressions, the incision burst open and her hands went into his chest cavity and crushed vital organs and he died. Yeah. This friend had told Rose Glass that story and then allowed her to use it in the movie because Rose Glass thought it was so powerful. Yeah. And how much that could sort of alter you. I was going to say, imagine living with that. Yeah, exactly. 
even if you did everything you could and there wasn't it was unavoidable it still would haunt you oh yeah absolutely i mean that is that is that's some ptsd right there Mm -hmm. wow wow wow, wow. okay that's really interesting okay well thank you for telling me that and upsetting me a lot (laughs) (laughs) just kidding okay all right some things i really liked about this uh I, i loved or at least i appreciated how this movie kind of recontextualizes the religious fanatic, right? The Joan yes. of Arc. But for uh, in a modern context, how there at one point was this aspiration for religious ecstasy and this feeling of being taken by the Holy Spirit, right? But when you look at it through this modern lens, it's not so aspirational anymore and maybe is a sign of something darker or, or sinister even. Um, at least things that are of concern right those things that were once seen as miraculous we have apologized it right yeah when you read about that they say maybe Joan of Arc had seizures or it was psychosis you know yeah okay see there you go and that was the thing is I was trying to do a little diagnose right is Mm -hmm. this schizophrenia is it some degree of epilepsy I mean I guess it doesn't ultimately matter but it just kind of like I said a lot of this is about taking these ideas and putting them through a modern framework and to that end i like how it links the loneliness that can come with modernity you know she's very alone in her trauma and in her mental illness and she's functioning just enough to get by but she's reached an inflection point where she can't really go back and we've talked about how we see that scene where she tries to fit in and she just doesn't and i've seen some comparisons of this movie to taxi driver and i think this scene in particular really kind of Yes. That's apt, right? Yeah. Except for in this case, it's this very uniquely feminine version of that story. That the relationships and the aspirations, they're not this machismo, I'm going to save the world. Although I guess he's really just trying to save one sex worker. But it it is kind of similar, right? Mm -hmm. But in this case, she's going to save the soul of this woman. And she's a carer. Now, now, granted, obviously not only women are nurses or carers, but those are things that are kind of traditionally kind of seen as women's work. But yeah, so I, I think, like I said, this is a female lens on that yeah, kind of story. Mm-hmm. And as a formerly religious person, religion just naturally feels dangerous to me. It feels like a slippery slope. It feels like a real opportunity for misinformation and mind control. And so to see it kind of weaponized here was interesting usually the scariest thing about religious horror for me is watching how other people sort of take a message and twist it to their own means and then indoctrinate others but in this case we're watching Maud do that to herself oh that's a good point yes yeah so I thought that was a really interesting approach or theme and I think there's something just sort of innately scary about religious imagery you know yeah definitely fear is such a motivator a lot of times in religion that the imagery takes on kind of a a horror aspect and so seeing her embracing that and then eventually emulating that aesthetic herself really does create a sense of unease uh it's a very good use of that you see it used in horror it's not like it's never been used before but there's there was something so ominous about when she put when she made her sheets into a robe yeah i love that scene yeah there's no going back at that point right (laughs) it is physically visible manifestation that the madness is full on at this point yeah (laughs) yeah okay so 
like I said, aloneness is definitely one of the themes of this. And I loved the moody, isolated setting of this. You know, was, I don't know about you, but I had total cognitive dissonance when I saw the Coney Island. I was like, wait, wait, there's another Coney Island? Because I know they're not trying to say this is America. <laughs> you can trick me with Canada, but you're not going to trick me with the UK. <laughs> but yeah, I love that it was kind of this sort of seedy isolated kind of feeling even though there were these bright lights and there were people around there was something very cold and distant about everything about the town yeah you know what it reminded me a little bit of some of those movies from the 70s in new york when people yeah. would walk around the city and everything felt cold and lonely and dangerous it yeah. had that same kind of vibe very much that yes absolutely like again taxi driver is a perfect example of that right? yes yes I also thought it's not from the 70s, but have you ever seen Byzantium? No. I think if you like this, this it's a vampire movie, but it has a little bit of this vibe. And it, it stars Sosha Ronan and Janet Arterton. And also it has Caleb Landry Jones from Antiviral in it. Oh, okay. And he's a hemophiliac that she's in love with. Oh. But it has this same kind of feeling of this isolated coastal british town mm -hmm. and kind of the underbelly of that i it, this movie made me think a little bit of that and reminded me how much i liked that movie but it, it definitely has a more gothic vampire feeling to it anyway but i i loved how the setting kind of drove home that theme of isolation and the way that amanda's house was set apart and above it so yeah. that she's almost in the clouds so you you watch Maud the first time she goes there, she's sort of ascending out of this sort of roach-infested, lonely life and into this beautiful house on the hill. But what she discovers there is kind of a different sort of isolation. And the house is sort of dark and oppressive and insular in a way that maybe back home is not. It's beautiful and clean like the wallpaper, and you know how I feel. About I was going to ask you <laughs> wallpaper. Jesus I was like, how much Christ. did you love that wallpaper? <laughs> oh, the wallpaper in her bedroom was delicious. Oh, it was so I could good. eat that wall with a spoon. Yeah, but but my point is, there's also something kind of stark and lonely about it. She ascends, but it's she finds a new kinds of loneliness. Yeah. So I don't know that all of all of the settings were really really great, and I appreciated the sparing use of CG in this. Yes. It's only used a couple of places, typically when Maud is having one of her godgasms, or at the very end when we have the demonic moment. And I love how it's used very subtly. And it, what it takes what is otherwise a very pleasurable appearing experience to a darker place and a reminder that this is not just abnormal, but it's actually kind of dangerous. And it illuminates the ways in which this isn't just weird, but kind of harmless but or benign, but she actually is a danger to her, to others, but also to herself. Yeah. Um, I just, I love the way they made her eyes look and her mouth yes. when she was having those, where they kind of stretched things in a weird mm -hmm. way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It looked great. Definitely. Definitely. And then the use of the, can we talk about the voice of God or are we, is that too close to the end? No, go for it. I love the voice of God stuff. Now, did you, do you know who does the voice of God? No. Okay. So this is, this is interesting. You'll like this because it's really great thematically as well as just in practice. So towards the end of the movie, we finally get to hear her hear God and she has a dialogue with God about what to do. And the voice is, I, I mean, honestly chilling. Yes. Really, really well done. And she's speaking in Welsh. 
which uh, <laughs> is a beautiful language, but can also sound very scary because it doesn't sound like Latin. You know what I mean? It, it sounds true. like an ancient language, you know, and it's foreign enough that it could be like, is it a little demonic? You know, because we have no exposure to it. But that is actually Morphid Clark voice oh. um, that has been pitched down. And so oh, it's really uncanny. Cool. But it works thematically because she's still speaking to herself. Herself. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Yep. Yeah. That's really good. Really, really good. cool, right? <laughs> so, all right. Let's get into the ending, girl. Talk, talk to me about the ending. I fucking love this ending. <laughs> I said that earlier. So but it's messed so messed up. I love messed it. Up and it's so good. So the scene with Amanda <laughs> is pretty amazing because... There's such a long, tense buildup to this scene. And you're, like we were saying earlier, always a little nervous that you're not going to get the payoff you're looking for. And you get it in spades here. Yeah. yeah. And it's also just so sad, too. Mm-hmm. Because oh, you God, know, it's heartbreaking. It, yeah, it is heartbreaking because Amanda's trying to apologize to her. And Maude hears a demonic voice come out of her. Mm-hmm. And then just stabs the ever-loving shit out of her. Yes, she does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I mean, just, you know, viciously and with all of her energy, just stabs and stabs and stabs. And her wearing that sheet, like you were saying, with the rosary in front of it, where she has that sort of very religious monk-like appearance, mm-hmm. it makes it sort of all the more creepy and upsetting when she's just stabbing this poor woman you know yeah well i mean it's also really upsetting because there's this moment where you can see what amanda is saying is breaking through yes that scene where she starts to cry wow you just see her face crumple it it, she looks like she's in excruciating pain yeah all of her pain has been very subdued until this moment but then in that moment that mental anguish is i mean so intense and at that moment you we switch perspective you don't know it but we have switched perspectives we are maude is an unreliable narrator and we are now in her head for the until the very last frame of the movie yeah and the way that her mind protects itself is to make amanda into a demon so that she can eliminate the source of her doubt it is such smart script writing Mm -hmm. and it's also so well acted yeah it's so believable you're right there in the moment and it is so affecting because of all of that it's Mm -hmm. very very impressive and then Maud's scene on the beach is beautiful I mean, it's so sad, but it's also so light and airy compared to the sort of darker tones of the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of glowing and she has these wings. It's there's something so beautiful about it. And one of the things that I've talked about, I think, in past episodes is that I often get frustrated when I feel like the ending of a film is telegraphed to the audience too quickly here. I knew that Maude was going to self-immolate at some point. Oh, that did that you? That was going to be the way it was going to end. Because they showed her messing with a lighter throughout the movie. Mm. And they also showed her focusing on a bottle of acetone in her apartment, I think, twice. 
Oh, okay. I missed the lighter thing. I thought she was going to make Amanda drink the acetone. I was just like, I don't uh, want to okay. see this. I don't <laughs> see this. Gotcha. So a lot of times when it's telegraphed too quickly, I get frustrated because I'm like, well, I already know the ending now. Right. Here, I did not feel like that at all. Here, right. it felt much more like really competent foreshadowing and not just giving the whole ending away because I did not see all of it coming at all. Right. <laughs> The right. stuff with Amanda, how that happened, and the very final shot of the movie, I didn't guess. Yeah. And so to me, I think it's incredibly successful. Also, the, I love the way that it is presented. All the people falling on their knees while yes. you can hear them, hear what's really happening, which yeah. is like, you've got to stop her. You've got to stop her. And then, But then it goes to this uncanny place of everybody in a state of, you know, rapturous worship. Yeah. And then that final beat. The final beat where you see her burning for real and what's actually happening. And it's confirmed to you in no uncertain terms that all that stuff was just in her head. Mm -hmm. It's brilliant. It's so good. And then it's a split second. And then, bam, the title card comes up for the ending. It's very, very good. (laughs) Yes. It's it's very impactful. I can tell you that much. (laughs) Yeah. And I honestly, I was kind of, I appreciated the lack of ambiguity. Sometimes ambiguity works. But I do feel like it can also be a crutch. And so I kind of appreciated that we didn't play in that place and just kind of were like, nope, here's the reality of the situation. Mm -hmm. And I kind of feel like we owed it to her, right? She's so out of touch with reality. I feel like as a character, we owe to her understand what's really happening for her. She's so lost. So for us to understand it, yes, obviously it's awful to see it's painful to see it's shocking to see but at the same time i feel like it's good to know her reality i don't know yeah is that a weird thing to say no i totally agree because i do think that there are a lot of movies where it's left open to interpretation and sometimes that's a good thing but sometimes you're right it does feel lazy and unfinished because of it and Mm -hmm. here i think we needed to have a definitive ending to Maud's story And we needed to know that all of that emotional pain she had been going through and the things that she had experienced are what kind of led to this point, you Mm -hmm. know? I think we needed her story wrapped up in that way, especially because we do get a sense that many things led to this, not just the one experience in the hospital. When that woman comes to visit her in her room and says, like, I should have seen this coming. There were signs that you had been going through stuff. And we should have done something to help you. So, yeah, I think yeah. We needed even the way she clarity. deals with the sexual assault, which we yes. didn't even talk about. Oh, like that's she a just very like puts on her clothes and leaves, yeah. you know, is yeah. is a sign that she's been through some trauma, I think. Or I mean, I, I just I think it's meant to imply that she's been through some degree of trauma. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you look at her face while she's lying down and it's happening and then the way mm-hmm. she just walks out, I think that that definitely shows this has maybe happened to her before. Ugh, he's so gross. Yeah, he sure is. Pretty nursey. I'm like, get the fuck out. See, this is the, uh, then yeah. I'm like, go get the scissors. Right, <laughs> get the scissors now. <laughs> snip, snip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, this movie's so good, you guys. Yeah, hope, you gotta see it. It's really, really good. I hope people who are here who have seen it, you know, had the same experience we did. I know Me that. Too. I always am envious when I don't like a movie and other people have such a great time, mm-hmm. you know, I'm like, sure. God, I, I wish I could be in that place. And so I hope everybody that's with us now has a similar experience with it. 
Yeah, because it I really was hope so it resonates nice. with other people because it is such a good movie. And yeah, I just think that the director and the actors did such a phenomenal job. I really hope that people enjoy it. Yeah. So I'll just end on my last thought, which is just that Rose Glass is absolutely one to watch for me. Yes. Uh, her direction 100%. is assured, especially mm-hmm. for someone who made their feature film debut. I cannot believe this is the first film. I think she has a, a gift for balancing tone. You know, not sacrificing the horror and the emotional beats uh, while still infusing some humor, which is what life is like, right? You know, yeah, it's full true. of tragedy and comedy, but those don't always necessarily work together side by side on film. And I think she does a good job of balancing those things. She does a good job of eliciting stellar performances from all of her actors. I mean, Jennifer L is, you know, an amazing actress. So, but still across the board, everybody is really fantastic in this. And I think she has a unique perspective and voice and if this is her just starting out as a filmmaker, I cannot right. wait to see what she does I next. I know, I know. Yeah, I hope she keeps making horror and horror-adjacent films and telling stories about really complicated, messed-up women, because we all know women like that. <laughs> and uh, if she does, one thing is I can guarantee is that I will be watching. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah we'll see. All right, this is the one to beat this year. Yep. Let's see. Let's see if they can do it. Let's see it, filmmakers. There's still a lot of year left, you know. Yeah, that's true. There's still yeah. a lot of year left, so hopefully, we'll. I mean, we got Candyman coming. We oh, got yeah. that false positive is coming. I mean, there's a lot of things that are on my radar. The three Fear Street movies are coming. I mean, those are going to be very different than this, but I'm excited. Oh yeah, about those. but I think they're going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, good summer watches. Yeah, awesome. All right, cool. So, anything else you want to say before we wrap up the review? Oh wait, no. do you have any cons? oh shit no (laughs) me neither (laughs) okay (laughs) okay no listener mail this week but if you want to drop us a line if you have some thoughts about saint Maud, some things that we need to hurry up and watch whatever the case may be drop us a line at rachel at zombiegirls.com or you can come over and chat with us on the zombie girls facebook page you can hit us up on twitter at zg podcast or on instagram at zg podcasts plural if you're looking for something to watch tonight check out our video on demand streaming calendar on the zombie girls website if you're a nerd who likes video games like moi, you can watch me play video games at twitch.tv forward slash zombie girls. And if you want to rock a t-shirt, and we know you do, you can check out our merch store at tpublic.com forward slash zombie girls.podcast. And finally, if you love us and you want more sweet, more deadly, and zombie girls network content, you should support us on Patreon because if you're a patron, all of the episodes are extended. So more content for you. You can do that at patreon.com forward slash zombie girls. It would mean the world to us. And I guess that just leaves our plans for the next episode. Oh, wait, let me tease what we're going to do. So for the extended episode on this episode, we are going to be talking about A24 in general. It's been one of the most influential uh, sort of studios recently. I think it's Gloomhouse and A24 are kind of, I mean, there are other ones, but those are sort of taking up a lot of oxygen mm-hmm. in the room. So we're going to talk a little bit about A24, things we've seen, what we think about it, the philosophy, stuff we're excited about that's coming in the future. Just kind of A20 whoring out, fangirling out a little bit. Okay, so that just leaves our plan for the next episode. Now, it's my turn again. Do you have any idea what I'm going to pick? No. Okay, good. <laughs> now, this is one we, te- we we talked about in the past, and actually we got a listener request for this one in the past. Oh, oh, I know what you're talking about now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So it's finally hitting video on demand. So we are going to be watching 
The Stylist, directed by Jill Gevargesian, which I believe is the correct pronunciation, but I will know for sure by the next episode. And it is about a lonely hairstylist who becomes obsessed with the lives of her clients and descends into murderous madness. Oh, I'm excited. That's going to be fun. And you know who's in it? Who? Bria Grant. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is half people who are director podcast, half just Bria Grant. Bria Grant, like, yeah. Fan club. I, it's not on purpose. I can't help it that she's everywhere in all the movies we want to watch. But one thing you can count on next week, we'll be geeking out about her about a little bit. But yeah, so that is the plan for the next episode. It'll be on video on demand. It comes out on June... Seventh, so definitely check that out when you have a chance because we are going to spoil it like we always do. All right, so unless you are sticking around for the extended episode, that is it for us tonight. Ariel, take us out. All right, guys, thanks for listening to another episode of the More Deadly podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and maybe had your own little godgasm, perhaps. We'll be back ASMR for you, baby. <laughs> yeah. Let me talk to the microphone real close. Oh my god. Sorry. <laughs> All right, I'm stopping. I'm stopping. <laughs> All right, guys, we'll be back in two weeks with the stylist. We'll see you then. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. <laughs> oh my god, I'm my brain. You're too funny. I'm a dork. It's my Friday, so I'm like, ah, and I've had a lot of coffee, and I'm like, ah. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening, and to my co host and good friend Ariel for always teaching me something new. Production on this episode was done by yours truly and edited by Ariel. Our theme song for the show is More Deadly by DJ Sharton.